Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Season 5 of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. You can find that by going to LRN.com, clicking on the Resources tab, and then clicking on the Newsletters tab. I hope you can subscribe. We'd love to have you. With us today is Tiffany Archer. She's a board and executive advisor, an ethics and compliance officer, a regulatory attorney, and a faculty member with more than 18 years' experience in Fortune 500 companies and AMLOR 100 law firms. Today, she's on the compliance leadership team at Panasonic Avionics Corporation, global leader for in-flight entertainment and communications. Welcome, Tiffany. Glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm really excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about how you became interested in ethics and compliance and take us through your journey that's led you to your current role at Panasonic Avionics. First, I've always been a people person and incredibly fascinated by what it is that makes them tick. So while in college, I chose to major in psychology to learn more about human behaviors, motivations, mental states, decision-making processes. Later, went on to law school, and after graduating, I joined a major international law firm where I specialized in white-collar crime and securities enforcement. So, of course, my cases focused on corruption, bribery, money laundering, and other heavily regulated conduct. And I was always interested in digging into the why behind the decisions that these individuals or corporations made And also to look a little more into what it is that really motivated the behaviors that led them down the path of wrongful conduct. So after nearly six years in private practice, I decided to switch gears and I moved in-house and have since held multiple compliance roles. And the passion that I've always had for psychology and for connecting with and understanding people is a key pillar of, of my personal compliance practice. Interestingly, Many people consider compliance officers as police officers of sorts. And and frankly, it's not unusual for the compliance function to be referred to as the department of no. And with that in mind, I prefer to take a people-centric and empathetic approach to compliance. And my priority is to connect with people, learn more about their values and their beliefs, and really use that information to guide their behaviors so that they can make ethical decisions and do the right thing, even when no one else is looking. So ultimately on my compliance journey, I landed at Panasonic Avionics, where I'm currently the regional ethics and compliance officer and corporate counsel for our Europe and America's regions. So tell us a little bit about Panasonic Avionics and what it does, and then how your compliance team works to help create that culture you're talking about. And then how do you measure the success of your team in that particular area? Sure. So Panasonic Avionics manufactures in-flight entertainment systems. Essentially, those are the TV screens that you see on the seatbacks of airplanes. We also provide connectivity services and then on-the-ground engineering support. Our focus is on innovation and most importantly, providing the best possible passenger experience. To bridge the chasm between compliance and culture within Panasonic, We partner very closely with our chief culture officer. And one of the tools I would want to highlight here today is 
To measure the culture, we use anonymous pulse surveys, which are sent out quarterly. And essentially, the purpose of those is to check the vitals on our employee population, find out how they feel about the culture of the company. And then we take those actionable data points from the surveys and use them to address concerns that intersect with the company culture. And we formulate ways to make improvements. And our chief culture officer does an incredible job of keeping our employees informed. I think it's quite clever, actually. After each survey, she sends out what's called a so what, now what message. And essentially, what what she's communicating is, through this survey, you've identified, so what are the issues or the problems that you'd like addressed? And now what is how she plans to put into effect initiatives or procedures to address those concerns. Panasonic's compliance department's mantra is compliance is our foundation. So not only do we measure our success by the implementation of the data points from the surveys, but we also measure it through our stakeholders' satisfaction with our responsiveness to their needs. And that so what now what is really interesting because it shows the people that you're listening to them and that's so much more important to building that trust that's going to get you to create the culture you're trying to achieve. It's really about keeping those lines of communication open. And I think our chief culture officer's initiative with the so what now, what really makes people not only see that she's listening and that we're listening, but that we're actively responding. And so it's really important to keep that dialogue open and and to continue to show forward progress. So I know you have a big interest in matters of diversity, equity, inclusion. We both last year were part of an LRN Concero roundtable on that topic. At the time, I asked you about the differences between the D, the E, and the I in the equation. And I thought your answer was really excellent. And I think our audience would love to hear what you have to say about that. Thank you, Ben, for highlighting this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are such an important initiative and movement for me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit more about what those letters mean to me specifically. So not only are there differences in what the D, diversity, E, equity, and I, inclusion pillars represent, each word also has a distinct impact on an organization's initiatives. Starting first with diversity, right? The focus is on creating an environment that's representative of the intersectionality between gender, race, sex, age, LGBTQIA, and many other identities. And in my view, this pillar is particularly important because what many organizations I've seen do is have a one-dimensional perspective as it relates to that. For many of them, historically, everyone in the institution, for the most part, looks the same. They come from the same background. They belong potentially to the same country club. They went to the same schools. I could go on, but, but, I, but I think you get what I'm driving at. The thing is, you know, it's not too late to attack this root cause. No doubt it will be challenging to make this shift since people are so used to the status quo. And what the leadership of these organizations should recognize is, despite the rocky road ahead, having to pivot towards a more diverse culture should not be considered a penalty. And in fact, it's an opportunity for growth and expansion and new or different ideas and perspectives, which can ultimately lead to a transformative experience for the organization. Now, under the equity pillar, the focus is more on fostering an environment where all employees have fair and equitable opportunities, right? They're looking for fairness when accessing resources despite being amongst a majority who may not look like them. And 
I thought it would be salient to use myself as an example here. I've spent much of my life competing with those who don't look like me. And for the listeners here today who may not know, I'm a Black woman of Jamaican descent, and I've always had to be the best and focus on not othering myself. There have been occasions where particular outcomes made me sit back and wonder, did I miss this opportunity or was I not selected or was I not appropriately rewarded because I don't look like the person that I was being compared against? And I've definitely, (laughs) and I'll share a personal story here, you know, walked into interviews where the interviewer was questioning whether I was in fact (laughs) Tiffany Archer because they didn't expect me (laughs) to look. (laughs) But true, sad, but true. But ultimately, it shouldn't matter what you look like or what you sound like. The comparison should be on more substantive qualities and merit and what you bring to the table. And lastly, with the I, right? Inclusion, which is the practice of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. The goal here is to create an environment where employees feel welcomed as a member of the organization. And that should be the priority. They want to be appreciated and recognized for who they are. And organizations' policies and procedures should be carefully drafted to ensure that employees have that opportunity to feel that sense of belonging. And one of my favorite quotes in this DEI realm is is by Verna Myers, where she says, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I like to add that equity would be allowing everyone the opportunity to actually pick the songs. So now that you've laid that out as the framework, what are two things companies can do to improve their DEI programs? And how does the company get started on this process? So first and foremost, leadership buy-in is paramount. And without a commitment from and involvement by leadership, employees will question how serious the organization is about undertaking this transformational process. And then secondly, companies have to commit to not applying a one-size-fits-all approach or an off-the-shelf solution to address the myriad of DE&I issues that may exist. How does one get started? How does an organization tackle this? And frankly, we could probably have an entire podcast on this topic, but seriously, Ben, many companies I'm seeing now, they're forming task forces, DE&I committees, retaining consultants, all in an effort to kick off their transformational processes. And I think these are helpful solutions, but only so long as that they're tailored for the company and its specific culture and values. And on the topic of culture, I want to highlight Edward Hall's culture iceberg theory. I'm a huge proponent of his work. He was an anthropologist and a cross-cultural researcher who came up with this theory in 1976 on how you can address organizational culture. And it's really quite simple, this theory. Basically, an organizational culture is like an iceberg. A very small portion of the culture, roughly 10%, is exposed on the surface, right? Making these areas really easy to identify and you can address in quick time any sorts of issues or problems you might see. But where the real work and the important cultural data points lie are below the surface. And that's, you know, around 90%. And these include things like cultural beliefs, people's ideas, thought patterns, their unconscious biases. So the real onus is on the DE&I team to engage their stakeholders in meaningful discussions, right? Gathering qualitative and quantitative data around behaviors, customs, core values, religious beliefs, and other characteristics. 
And the iceberg model shows that, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover or that 10% of the iceberg that's exposed. It's critical that we take the time to get to know and understand our employee base to uncover their values and beliefs that underlie their behaviors. And when you're armed with that information, you're able to stand up meaningful, relevant, and actionable plans to advance an organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So the big takeaway is digging deeper into the layers of the iceberg will allow the team to learn the challenges and pain points in the diversity, equity, inclusion program and begin that longer journey of creating an action plan that specifically meets the needs of an empl- of the employee population. And that sounds like where maybe the board needs to get in. So what role does the board play in forwarding this discussion and getting deeper down into that iceberg? Well, again, as I said earlier, you know, board involvement and commitment and buy-in is key. Um, you know, we need board members to echo the same sentiment and messaging. We need the board to acknowledge that this process may be a long, arduous, challenging process, but we're committed to that process. And I think also the board needs to echo the sentiment that it's going to take a lot of work. And despite the obstacles, we're going to commit to moving forward. So I think, you know, not only should leadership be doing that, but the board should also have an active role in making sure that there's continuous forward progress in connection with these initiatives. And pushing forward all this DEI discussion, too, has been the support for racial justice that poured out into the streets all over the world last year after the killings of George Floyd and so many others. What are the next steps to advance this issue from a business perspective, and how can organizations help uh, do their part here? This is a sad topic. These tragic events have, have put a spotlight on the importance of addressing a longstanding crisis affecting people of color. You know, you raised George Floyd. We all know he died because we watched as an officer kneeled on his neck until he could no longer breathe. Breonna Taylor, another person of color, was wrongfully shot dead while asleep inside of her home. Ray Shard Brooks, another person of color, was shot in the back as he was approaching his vehicle where his children were sitting. And these are all circumstances where police officers prioritized power over judgment or procedure. And these killings amplified the deaths of people of color at the hands of police and elevated the prominence of racial inequality and disparity in policing. And each of these individuals were victims of racial profiling and they each suffered unjust and untimely deaths. And with that, I think it's so very important that we don't allow the passing of these events and individuals to become the passing of an opportunity to proactively address and work towards a solution to to this historical problem. And as far as how businesses can help, they can play a key part in this by keeping these issues alive, right? And front and center and at, at, at top of mind. Again, we don't want the passing of these events to be a passing of an opportunity. And I think they can leverage this opportunity by standing up as ambassadors of change. And I would say that the reliance on two key guideposts would be really helpful in this realm. So the first one would be acknowledgement, right? And going back to leadership, it's paramount that leaders, the board, et cetera, are are vocal about their commitment to the fight for racial equality and enterprise-wide messaging would be the first step. And then secondly, action. You have to walk the talk if you truly have any interest in moving the needle. And even if the movement are just small steps, 
that forward cadence is critical. So I advocate that businesses need to reassure employees that by really doing the work, not just through activities like issue-specific training on unconscious bias or diversity or sensitivity, but also focusing on developing equitable opportunities for growth and advancement and not penalizing marginalized employees when they speak out. And again, as I said earlier, these will be difficult conversations and change will not happen overnight. But I think the most important thing that organizations need to demonstrate is that they're committed to the cause. And not only from the perspective of what is happening in the streets, but also from the perspective of what's happening within the walls of their offices. And also, I believe they have a role to play in helping to reform police as well. We had an excellent uh, podcast at the beginning of season four with Florence Chung. She's a member of the Hetty Group, and her job is to make a bridge between communities and police departments and try to rebuild some of that trust. And she was talking about how business can be such a great mentor to departments that don't understand how to execute change management and all these things that businesses do very well. So uh, there's a definite tie-in and a role for them to play. Yeah, absolutely. The other topic dominating our world is COVID-19, and it's obviously having a big impact on companies and their ENC programs and cultures. What have you learned about your program as a result of the pandemic, and what should the focus be on as you move forward? A key theme that has come from this pandemic is the level of resilience our program has demonstrated. And and I know I'm proud of it, and I'm sure my colleagues would say the same thing. Um, You know, the aviation industry, sadly, has suffered a tremendous blow between the travel bans, reduced flight capacity and routes, people's fear of flying because of COVID protocols. It's really been a challenging time. But nevertheless, our program's commitment to compliance has been unwavering. As I said earlier, compliance is our foundation. We've adapted to this new normal and we've we've remained connected to our stakeholders and we make connecting virtually and regularly an absolute priority and continue to reassure them that we are here to help. And we've really tried our best to turn a dark and dreary time into something lighter and more personable and relatable. So for example, we've created a number of communication initiatives Um, one of which includes vignettes where we have compliance character avatars work through COVID-related or other challenging scenarios that our staff may face during this time and and kind of walk them through how best to deal with the circumstances or challenging decisions that they're confronted with. And we've also focused on reminding employees that PAPS culture is rooted in honesty and integrity, and there really should be no fear of speaking up if there are any questions or concerns or something just doesn't feel right. And for me personally, I found that the most success is in reminding my stakeholders that I'm a confidant and a business partner. Um, You know, I spoke earlier about, you know, not just being the department of no. And I really do do my best to be empathetic and compassionate and understanding that everybody is going through a different circumstance and one person's challenge might be very different from another's. But it's critical to continue to have these discussions and these dialogues to instill trust. And when they trust me, I know that if the need arises, they'll come to talk to me to talk to work things through. And my role isn't to be a bottleneck. It's to assess the facts, determine how to facilitate the outcome that they're looking for, but in a way that comports with our policies and procedures. And finally, I've spent a lot of time encouraging my stakeholders to consider their mental health and their self-care regime, and to try to keep their spirits and mental fortitude up. 
We are all in this together. We are embracing the worst of times, but the key to getting to, to the other side is going to be through persistence and resilience. And that's the message that I try to communicate regularly. That is such an important topic and it's going to be with us for years to come, I believe, as the fallout from all this. So let me ask you one last question. I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been so much fun. Tell me about one or two of your mentors who have helped you work your way up in this profession and then offer a piece of advice to young people looking for a career in ENC. One key mentor in my life is Marcia Noreen Weldon. She went to Columbia University and, and is also a Harvard Law School grad. She's an attorney and a University of Miami Law School professor. And she was formerly a chief compliance officer and deputy general counsel. She's played an integral role in really guiding me towards overcoming imposter syndrome, encouraging me to push past my internal boundaries, to continue to learn, to strive, to grow towards things that maybe I didn't think I was capable of. But because of her push and her encouragement, I, I kind of stepped out and tried to do more. The second part of your question, you asked me, you know, one tip I could give younger people who are looking for a career in ethics and compliance. And I would say that for those who are looking to foster a culture of compliance and have a successful career in compliance, they need to keep in mind that their emotional quotient trumps their intelligence quotient or their IQ every time. So you may have gone to the best school or you may be the smartest person in the room or have the most experience in a particular industry. But if your emotional quotient is weak, or if you lack the ability to demonstrate empathy and emotional intelligence and develop strong relationships and diffusing conflict and building trust with your teams, all of that may prove to be a very challenging feat. So I would say, you know, EQ trumps IQ every time. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much, Tiffany. This was wonderful. I had such a good time talking with you. I look forward to working with you again in the future. And Best of luck until then. Stay safe. And hopefully we'll see you uh, when we can all come outside and play. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ben. And same to you. Stay safe. And I'll see you on the other side. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.